All right, how we doing? Excellent. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is not how you're supposed to start a sermon. Public speakers, they will tell you, just pretend like nothing's wrong and everything's going to be fine. Just a minute ago, I was looking at the screen and it was super blurry, like I had like something in my contact. So I just like jabbed my finger in there, not wearing my contacts. <laughs> and so I just poked myself in the eye and I didn't want to come up and have you think I've got like a weird eye twitch or something. I'm just like, yeah, no, everything's fine. Good to see you tonight. Good grief. I just poked myself in the face. We can edit at, at a South Campus video, right? That'll be fine. Okay, good. Well, it is good to see you here tonight. And uh, I got a confession for you guys. I am bad at math. I'm bad at math. I know that we've talked about this. I know that we've been through this. And I should clarify when I say that, I'm okay at normal everyday math. I can add, I can subtract. I know my multiplication table, right? That puts me firmly at a grade three level. So that's, that's, that's about where I top out at math, right? But I would say that any math you learn beyond grade three, I feel is just a futile, tremendous waste of time. Because we're all walking around with calculators. We can Google whatever we want. You're never going to be stumped by a math question in the real world, right? And so that's just my take on things. Where we get into trouble is when my kids come home from school and have a math question for me. And so it happened this week. One of my daughters came home. She said, Dad, can you help me with this math? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, first problem, it's in French. That's a problem for me. My French is come see, come sa which is to say, it is firmly at a grade three level also. And so I was like, all right, let's just ignore all of the words. I'm sure they're not important anyway. Let's just look at the numbers. And so we're looking at the numbers. Uh, second problem, it's fractions. Fractions, this doesn't even count. They're not even real numbers. They're like bits and pieces of numbers. And so I'm looking at this and I'm okay with fractions if we're baking. If it's a recipe, if I can narrow it down to like recipe level, I'm okay. I can bake. One and a half cups, one and a half cups, three cups. I can math, right? We're good on that. The other great thing about baking with, with fractions is that you can just eyeball it. You can just make it up. It'll be mostly fine, right? Three-eighths of something. It's like, yeah, no, that's good right there. That's great. Uh, can't eyeball math, unfortunately. And so I'm looking at this fraction problem, and my eyes are starting to glaze over a little bit, and I eventually hand it to my wife. So can you do this? These numbers are in French and I don't understand them. And so she, she took over and she helped me out. Uh, turns out, though, this week I discovered that math is actually easier now in school than it was when I was a kid because there was a math question that went viral this week. I don't know how many of you saw this or tried to figure it out, but this was a legit grade three question on a math test and a parent posted it online. This is the, the actual question. Janelle had 15 marbles. She lost some of them. How many does she have now? Is this a joke? Is this for real? And this was an actual question. And so a lot of people online were debating this, trying to figure this out. Some people said the answer is just less than 15. All right, that's it. It's the less than sign, 15. Uh, other people tried to convince me that sum is a mathematical term. A couple is two, few is three, sum is four. They're making that up. That's nonsense. Um, and so everyone was like trying to figure out what this question actually meant. I think it means that the teacher lost her marbles is what it means. Um, she actually came forward with the answer because the world wanted to know. And here is her answer. She just wanted to see the kids come up with their own answer. We didn't do math like that when I was a kid. 
I would have done way better at math if that was math, right? What's 28 times 412? More than 28. <laughs> that works, right? That would have been suffice for this teacher. Anyway, just eyeballing it, just eyeballing it. I'm bad at math, I don't like it, I'm not good at it, and I can't help my kids with it. All that to say, some of you are math wizards. You love it. You eat, sleep, breathe math, you love figuring out those problems. You are engineers. You are architects. You are math teachers. You have a book that tells you the answers. But still, some of you like math, and you're good at it. And I would say this to you. Thank you. Thank you for being good at math, because it really is a large benefit to people like me who are not great at math at all. We are all completely different. We are all good at some things, not great at other things that other people are great at. We're all kind of at different ends of the spectrum when it comes to certain skills and abilities, right? We are all profoundly different in this room. Uh, and so we believe that we believed certain, certain, we got certain abilities and talents from God when he created us. Psalm 139 says that he knit us together in our mother's wombs, and so he, he wired us, he created us to be a certain way, to be stronger at certain things and not so great at some other things. He looked at this long list of abilities, and, and he kind of threw in a different measure of this and a different measure of that, and we all kind of came out. You could say he fractioned it out a little bit. He was eyeballing it, and he made us. And so some of you are naturally inclined at, at sports and athleticism. Some of you are not, but you are much more inclined towards the academic side of things. You could get a ticket to game seven of the Stanley Cup. You'd have a book in your face, right? You just don't care. Some of you are big picture dreamers. Some of you are fine detail planners. Some of you are behind the scenes kind of people. Some of you are put me in the spotlight kind of people. We are all unbelievably different. And hopefully by this point in your life, you have kind of discovered along the way, here's the things that I'm strong at. Here's the things I'm not so great at. And, and you've kind of learned that about some of the other people around you. You know who to go uh, to find help from with your math problems or whatever it is, right? So we are all unbelievably different. And we believe that that's the way that God made us. And he made it that way for a reason. Ephesians 2.10. This is a verse we talked about a while ago. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So he has created us and it's to do things for him that he has had in mind for a long time. So you are wired the way you are because God said, I need you to be this person for these things that are going to come down the line in your life. So I need you to be this way for these things because I created you for that purpose. And sometimes that's an encouraging thing for us to hear because we often get a little discouraged some, sometimes along the way and you think, did he really mean to do that? Did you ever wonder, did he mean to make me like this? Is there something wrong with me? And we, and we believe, no, like day six of creation, God did not make mistakes. He, he didn't drop the extrovert extract on you when he was making you and be like, shoot, Right? If you know that person who's just wild all the time, you think that's one of God's mistakes. No, it's not. He didn't, it's not an accident. He meant to do it. He meant to wire us a certain way. So we have abilities and talents that God has given us to do good works that he has placed before us, some of which we haven't even seen yet. And so we are in this series called Resourceful, where we're talking about all of the things that God has given us and all of the ways that he wants us to use them. 
And so the last couple weeks, we have skewed a little bit more towards a finance kind of things, a generosity kind of thing. And, and today we're going to talk more about not how much we have, but who we are. The way that he has wired us and designed us and equipped us to do the things that he has in mind for us to be. Because I believe that everything he has given us, everything from your money to your time, to your talent, to your opportunities, to your giftedness, all of those things he gave you for kingdom purposes. That's why you have what you have. For kingdom purposes. And I think that's a good reminder for us because it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, here's the thing we need to remember. It's seek first the kingdom of God. So you need to first look at your talents and abilities and say, how does God want me to use these for his kingdom? You need to first look at the time and opportunities in front of you and say, how do I use this for the kingdom? You first look at the money. You first look at the, the talent, the gifted, whatever it is. And your first question should always be, how does God want me to use this for his kingdom? Because often what we do is we say, I'm so thankful God gave me these gifts and abilities. It's really worked out nicely for this profession. I'm so thankful for this ability because it, it, it let me uh, make some money so that I could settle down and retire. No, no, all of those things might be fine and good, but they are secondary to the reason why you have them. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. That's what we believe we should be doing with what he has given us. Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God. What does it say there? Above all else. Above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So we often get that a little bit backwards. We think, all right, God's given me all these things, so now I can, I can work my job and pay my bills and raise a family and retire nicely, and, and then with what's left over, I'll give it to the kingdom. And Matthew 6.33 says, actually, seek the kingdom first above all of those things, but when you do that, I'll make sure that you have everything you need. It's a trust thing, isn't it? It's a faith thing. Seek me first and I'll take care of you, not here's all the things to take care of you. Give me your leftovers. Seek first. So the question today is, are you using what you have been given in terms of your talent, abilities, and time for the kingdom of God? Are you using the way that you have been wired for the kingdom of God? First and foremost. So we're going to take a well-known parable, take a look at this today, and talk about what we can learn from this. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 25, and the context here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples here. The crowds are gone. He's not preaching anymore to kind of non-religious. He's talking to his disciples and his church, and he gathers them in and tells them a few stories about what the kingdom of God is all about. This is one of them. starts at verse 14. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. The servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. 
After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate, so I was afraid I would lose your money. I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And it could have ended there. But then he goes on and says, now throw this useful servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Really turns it up a notch there on the last verse. Really kind of takes it the extra step. Uh, And so this is what is commonly known as the parable of the talents. And talent there is a financial term. The NLT translated it to silver to make it a little bit more obvious. Uh, But talent was a financial term And it was actually a huge pile of money. It was a weighted thing. And so weight in gold or whatever, they would call it a talent. One talent, scholars kind of estimate, is anywhere between 10 to 15 years worth of your salary. So take your salary, multiply it by 10 or 15, and then multiply it by 5 or 2 or whatever, right? So he is giving, this, this is a significant Christmas bonus, So he has given these guys a pile of money, but the specific specific amount of money really isn't the point. The point is that the master entrusted his people with something incredibly valuable, and he wanted them to use it for him. That's the point. Um, In fact, it, it kind of implies anything that God has given us to steward well And we've talked about this talent to such a degree that over time, that's where we get our English word talent because it just became synonymous with anything that God has given us. And and because of this parable, now the word talent is no longer a financial term. It means skills and abilities and whatever. So this parable, it's not really about one specific thing. Is it money? Is it talent? It's ability. What's he talking about? It's whatever the master has given us that is extremely valuable that he is wanting us to use for him. Okay, and spoiler alert, This story is about Jesus and his church. And you look at it like this. We have a master who has entrusted us with valuable things. He is going away for a while. Someday he will come back and he will hold us accountable to how we did. So this is kind of the framework for the story of the parable of the talents. And so I want to point out a few details that I think should really matter to us today. Verse 5. He says he gave five bags of silver to one, 
two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last. And it says, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. How many times have we read that story but didn't stop to read that part of it? He gave them that amount based on their ability. He gave them how much they could handle. He gave them according to their capacity to do with it. And so God has given us all different abilities. And he has not kind of measured it out equally, but he has given us all a different measure of certain abilities, and he has divided it according to how much he thinks we can handle with this or that or the other thing or whatever. So we don't all have an equal amount of the exact same things, right? We just talked about that. We're good at some things, bad at some things. I'm great at this and poor at that, and you're the opposite. So he has measured out a different amount for each of us, depending on how much he thinks that we can handle. And each one of those giftedness kind of abilities uh, probably comes with its own set of pros and cons. And see, the temptation that we all have is to look at someone else's measure of giftedness and think, well, I want what they have. I like that. I wish I had that. I wish I was good at that as, as they are. I wish I could sing like her. I, I wish I had his ability to do this. I wish I could lead like that. I wish I could have that, you know, whatever. We, we look at everyone else and think, well, their abilities are awesome. I wish I had that. And, and we, we're prone to a little bit of jealousy and a, a little bit of envy. And you think, oh, life would be easier if I was that. We have no idea. You have no idea what it would be like to carry the burden that they carry with their talent and responsibilities. Maybe their talent and ability actually is a very heavy responsibility. And it comes with a pile of different things. Maybe if you got it, you would have it and you would be like, I do not want this. That's because you weren't supposed to carry it. That was not what he had in mind for you. Remember, you're doing good things that he's got planned for you down the road. So he's wired you so that you can do those things that are coming. And so we can't look at everyone else's measure and think, well, I want what they have and I wish I had what they had. You have exactly what you're supposed to have. You have exactly what God thinks that you can handle right now. I, I always think back of the story of David and Goliath. And, and David is about to go out onto the battlefield. He's about to fight this huge giant. And remember what Saul tries to do? Saul tries to put his armor on David. He's like, yeah, I should put this on. This is going to keep you safe. You're going into battle. David puts it all on. He can't even walk. He's weighed down by all this armor, can't even pick up the sword. And David's like, no, I don't need any of that. I need a slingshot. I need to go out and do what God has equipped me to do. This is what you were equipped to do. I'm not supposed to wear Saul's army, ar armor because I'm David. Right? And, and Saul's armor is suited perfectly for him, for the calling that he has, for the things that God wanted him to do. And, and my slingshot is perfect for what God wants me to do in this certain time at this certain place. And so if you're always living under this impression of this comparison game, you're only going to be depressed. You're like, I just wish I had what they had. That looks like more fun. No, it's not. You would not have more fun. It would not be good. God has specific things in mind for you to do. And you are equipped to do exactly those things. Saul's armor was perfect for Saul. Not for David. And the life that you have been given and the abilities that you have, the talents that you have, are perfect for you. And for what it is that God wants you to do. David's calling was to run out onto a field and trust God anyway, not a sword. It was completely different callings for both of those guys. 
So this is a great reminder for us. Don't get upset with the amount that God has measured out to you or someone else. You will not be held accountable for someone else's abilities. Right? He is good. He is right. He is perfect. He is just. And so usually whatever he decides to do is the right thing. And so the way that he has wired you is the way that we have to believe, okay, well, maybe that's the right thing for me. And the longer you look at other people's giftedness and talents and just wish you had theirs, the less you're doing with yours. You're going to spend your whole life wishing that you had something else or that you were someone else and you're missing out on who it is you're supposed to be right now in this place. And kingdom work is not getting done because you're over here wishing that you were someone else doing their kingdom work. Well, I don't like the hand that I was dealt. It's not about liking the hand that you were dealt. It's about using the hand you were dealt. It's about being faithful with the hand that you have been dealt. It's about looking at it and asking yourself, what does God want me to do with this? How do I use this for his glory? How do I use this for his kingdom? And remember, we've been saying this all series long. What matters isn't how much you have anyway. It's how you're using how much you have been given. That's what he's looking for. And notice that the master's response to both the guy with five talents and the guy with two talents is exactly the same. That the guy who made five talents didn't get more of a reward. He didn't get a, a special trophy. He didn't get more compliments. It was the exact same thing because they were both equally faithful to what they had been given. It wasn't a competition for the master. It wasn't like, all right, the guy with five, the guy with two, you guys win. The guy with one, he's out. Now you guys fight. Battle it out. See who wins. Right? That's what we want to do. We want to make everything a competition. We want to make everything a battle between me and you and the other person. And how are we all measuring up? Let's rank ourselves. Let's figure out who's the best at this. We, we want to turn in everything into like talents with the stars or whatever. That's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is to be faithful with what you have been given. For the glory of God. Man, the church is not a talent show anyway. It's not a talent show. It's not why you've been given your gifts and abilities. The master did not give his employees five talents or whatever so they could prance around and be like, yeah, get a load of me, five-talent guy right here, ladies. <laughs> right? That's not, no. You know what happens if that guy does that? If that guy's walking around like, get a load of this? They're all going to go, uh, yeah, the master gave you that, actually. You didn't do that. You didn't have the capacity to do that. And that's why I have, see, we want to elevate people who are super talented. That's what our world does. Get a load of these talented people. Give them the awards, the trophies, put that on a pedestal. We should be looking at them going, yeah, God gave you that. They should be going, yeah, God gave me that. Not for me, but for him and for his kingdom and for his glory. Five talents, two talents, doesn't matter. He measured it out. We all got some. That's what matters. So what are we doing with it? Even, even the guy who just got one talent, remember, that's a lot of money. He entrusted that guy with a pile of money. Even the guy who got a little still got a lot. So even everyone in this room, you're holding a bag of talent. And, and even if you think you got a little, you got a lot. Because he, he has given you, and out of his generosity, talents and abilities and skills, time, opportunities, money. It's, it's all from his hand. It's all a gift. And so don't ever think, oh, I don't have very much. You have a lot. You have a lot. It's supposed to use it. 
But, there's always a but. It's also important to note that what you start with isn't what you should finish with. What God gave you to start with is not what he still wants you to have when you're finished. The guy who had one and ended with one, it did not go well for him. What God wanted him to do was use it and increase it and grow it. See, the the assumption here isn't God giving you a gift and saying, all right, you're good, you're done. The assumption is that you will grow in your gifting. The assumption is that you will take what he's given you and increase it. That you will get stronger in it. That you will get better at it. That you will be more effective in it. He wants you to grow in your gifting. He doesn't want you to start with one and finish with one. He wants to see that you stepped out, that you attempted to use it, that you did something with it. God is asking us to grow what you have been given. You can't just sit back and coast in the kingdom. No one should be sitting back on what they've been given thinking, no, I'm just good. I got taken it easy. We're all right. We'll make it to the finish line. Not the point. The point is to use what you have been given. The kingdom of God requires that all of its people would work. The kingdom of God requires people who are willing to do the work. And when you look at verse 16, it says, The servant who received the five bags began to invest the money and earned five more. Earning and investing is work. It says the next guy who had two bags, he also went to work and earned two more. So he's going to work. He's doing something with it. He's giving it a shot. But the third guy, he just buried it. In fact, he, he did more work burying it than he could have just taken it to the bank. Right? He didn't even do that. He didn't even get interest on it. He just dug it in a hole and stuck it in the ground. He didn't do anything with it. That's what upset the master. It's not that he didn't even increase it. So they didn't even try And we find out why in verse 25. He says, I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money. And so I hid it in the ground. And you know what? At that moment, he's probably feeling some relief, right? When the master comes back, he's digging it up. He's like, still got it. Woo! All right. Gave me one, and it didn't, a dog didn't dig it up. It didn't get washed away in a flood. It's still there all these years later. What a relief. Hands it back to the master, and the master's like, yeah, darkness and gnashing of teeth. It's like, no, what? What do you mean? No, you gave it to me, and I'm giving it right back. I didn't lose anything. This is the best. Because like, I didn't care if you lost anything. I wanted you to use it. Right? If anything, the master, what he's saying there is, I would have rather gotten zero from you than one. I would have rather you stepped out and failed than actually just do this thing in the ground somewhere, right? And, and it, man, the guy is probably upset at that point. It's like, oh, I didn't expect this. But how many times, this is such a universal human thing, how many times have you been upset with the results of something that you didn't put the work into? Right? How many times you failed a test and you didn't study for it? They're like, I can't believe this is an outrageous mark. I'm calling my teacher. So did, did you study? Right? You fail a weigh-in on the scales. You're like, all right, how much weight did I lose? Plus two. That's just not good. So you didn't go to the gym. You didn't eat better. You didn't change anything. You wanted a good result, but you didn't want to do the work. 
right? It's, we're like this with our finances. Christmas is here, and we're like, all right, this is the year that I'm going to save up all year long. When Christmas comes, we're going to be loaded. It is going to be great, and it's November the 18th, and you're like, shoot, didn't save for Christmas again, right? I'm upset with the result, but I didn't do the work that was required of me. We can't be upset with ourselves if we're not doing the work. Good results follow good work. And good work usually leads to good results. And so here's the question. If you want to see good things happen in the kingdom of God, how are you working? If you want to see good things happen in the kingdom, how are you working for the kingdom? Because here's what happens, and I am guilty of this, and everyone's guilty of this to some degree. We say things like, man, I just, I hope more people get saved, and we don't evangelize. Or we'll say crazy things like, oh, man, it's so exciting. The church is growing. I sure hope the church keeps growing. You haven't brought anyone in years. Well, how's the church doing financially? I sure hope we're doing great financially, and you're not tithing. How often do we want really good kingdom results, but we're not doing any good kingdom work? That's hard, isn't it? Like, shoot, that's me. That's me sometimes. I want all these good things to happen, but it's a little bit easier to just dig it in the ground and sit there and wait around for the finish line to come to me. James warned us about this. James chapter 2, 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Right? This is, this is kind of what we do sometimes. We're like, man, there's so much work to be done out there. I sure hope it gets done. And we go back home. What are we doing with what he's given us? How are you using it? Not just for you. How are you using it for the kingdom? What are you doing with it for the people around you? James goes on to say that kind of faith without works is dead. It's dead. If you just want all the good things, but you're not willing to do the hard work behind it, it's not even really faith. That's a dead faith. That's easy. We're just because sometimes we're like, well, I'm just a one talent guy. Five talent guy over there is going to double his amount. That's enough for all of us. We're expecting five talent guy to carry more of the weight than we are. God doesn't care a five talent guy. That's between him and God. He wants to know what you're doing with your one. He wants to know what you're doing with your two or your four, however much that he gave you. You're not going to be held accountable for what anyone else did. They're going to be held accountable for what you did with what he gave you. In the place that you live, the people you're with, the amount that you've got. Maybe the one talent guy was afraid that he'd be bad at it. Right? Whatever, I'm just going to fail, whatever this is. And maybe he was afraid that, that he was going to lose it and the master was going to show back up and here's, where's your one talent or whatever you do with it. And he's like, I don't have anything to show for it. And what he learned is that the master doesn't hate failing. He hates not working. He hates not trying. He calls the guy out for being what? He says, you're wicked and lazy. He says, you're lazy. You didn't even do anything with it. You didn't even try to do anything with it. I would rather stand before God at the end of my life and say, I failed, than to say, I didn't even try. And I can't speak for God, but I feel like he would feel the same way. In fact, I bet God would be thrilled with our failure because it means that we at least stepped out in faith and we gave it a shot.
We at least did something with it. At least my failure points to my faith. Right? Sometimes that how, that's how we need to look at failure. At least my failure points to my faith. Because I stepped out and I gave, it, I gave it a shot. I tried. I did something. Not everything you do is ever going to work. No one's got a 100% success rate at any of the things they're doing. But at least when you fail, you can say, well, I mean, I gave it a shot. At least our failure will point to our faith. That's what God wants to see from us. One of my kids got her report card this week. She got a 98 and something. I was furious. Threw it back in her face. We are working on this when we get home. How many of you really believe that's what I said to my daughter? That's not what parents should say to their kids. What you say to your kids at school is, listen, I just want you to do your best. I want you to try your hardest. If you need help, then ask. But I want to know that you did the work. The grade is almost irrelevant if I know that you worked your hardest on it, right? I feel like that's what the master is going to say to us. I at least want to know that you tried your hardest, that you gave it everything that you got, right? It's what you tell your team if you're a coach. Don't play to not lose. You play to win. You don't just play it safe all the time. Get out there and step out in faith and take a risk and do something with it, right? What's not acceptable is not even trying, not even giving it a shot, not putting the work in. The master was furious that he just dug a hole in the ground. So here's the question. Is what are you currently afraid of doing for God with what he's given you? What are you afraid of doing for the kingdom? Even though you know you've got the capacity, the ability, right? Is it inviting someone to church? Is it sharing Jesus with someone that's in your family or a friend or your nerve? I don't know how they're going to accept it. I don't know if they're going to think that I'm crazy. Is it, is it going on a missions trip? Every time we announce one, you're like, oh, I'm supposed to do that, but it's really frightening. Is it starting to tithe, thinking I should be doing that? I don't know how I'm going to afford that. That's creepy. I, I don't know. Is it a calling that he's got on your life that you're terrified of? He's asking you to do something or to go somewhere, and you're like, I really like my life the way that it is right now. What is God currently asking you to do for the kingdom that you have the ability and the talent, the opportunity, whatever it is, to do that you're not? Because just remember that having the ability and not even trying isn't what pleases God. And at least your failure would point to your faith. Fear doesn't get us anywhere. So don't bury your talent. Don't bury your talent. Use what he's given you. Grow in it. Get better at it. Learn how to use it. Because he's coming back and he wants to see how we did. And there is no return on buried talent. There's no return on buried talent. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to do anything for the kingdom if you're not even trying with what you've got. Some of you have talent and ability that the kingdom of God needs you to be using. The kingdom needs you to step up. The kingdom needs you to participate and to take part. But we're sitting on them. We've dug them into the ground and we're on top of them just waiting for this to be over someday. The master's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? The third guy who was afraid, he was actually convinced that his master was harsh. He's like, I knew you were a harsh guy. I didn't want to do it. A harsh guy, 
he, he tells the first guy, that was awesome, let's go party. He tells the second guy, great job, we should go party. Right? I don't know what part of that guy, his, his personality has the third guy convinced that, oh, that's a terrible, harsh man. Sounds like a super fun guy to me. Right? Are, are you convinced that God's against you? That he's out to get you? I'm, I'm afraid to step out and do something for God because you just seem so harsh and so mean. God, no, no, he's giving you everything you need. He wants to see you use it well. And when you do, that's going to be great. And he's going to give you greater capacity to do even more. And he's going to celebrate in that. We get to grow in our gifting. We get to grow in our ability to evangelize. We get to grow in our ability to influence Fredericton for Jesus. We get to grow in our ability to see lives changed. The worst thing we can do is sit on it. Bury our talent and take it easy. I'm going to be held accountable for the way that, that I led a church, the way that I preached, the words that came out of my mouth. Right? And I, I, half the time I'm scared and don't know what I'm doing, right? But at least I get to stand before them and say, all right, we gave it a shot. And not everything we do as a church is going to work. We're trying to raise $35,000 next week. No idea how it's going to go. And even if the total comes in next week, oh, you made 600 bucks. <laughs> Whoa. At least we tried. And at least we get to stand before him and say, oh, I tried to use everything I had with everything that you gave me for your kingdom. And I hope that you will be able to say the same thing before him. You've got what you've got for a reason. And he's got good things for you to do with it. And so let's not be afraid. Let's not take it easy. Let's do the hard work and see what God can do with what he's given us. Amen. Amen.